0: Well, last week, um, we began to look at Christ's encounter with a woman, a Samaritan woman, uh, whose sin and poor choices in her life left her broken and ashamed and uh, very lonely. And we, uh, we just kind of began to get into that. The, the, the account is found in the Gospel of John, chapter 4. And uh, as you may recall, when Jesus met this woman, she'd been married five times And she was currently living with a man who was not her husband. And for these and and probably a number of other reasons, the people in her village really wanted nothing to do with her. She was definitely marginalized by those folks. So she came to this well that we talked about last week, Jacob's well, a famous well, uh, a community well, really, to draw water. And she came alone. She came in the heat of the day. She came at a time when she hoped that no one, no one else would be there. And she comes face to face with Jesus of Nazareth, this tired and thirsty stranger who not only tells her the truth about who she is and about who he is, but more importantly, offers her living water, eternal life. The story ends with the woman accepting this gracious offer. And then she returns to her village and we read that she tells everyone in her village who will listen to her about Jesus. This one who told me everything she said that I'd ever done. And her testimony creates nothing less than a revival in this village, in this Samaritan village. And many of the Samaritans we read in John's Gospel come to believe in Jesus because of her and also because of what they hear for themselves from Jesus. And as I said last week, there are three truths that seem to just leap off the pages of this account. Truths that can change our lives, I believe, just as they changed this woman's life so many thousands of years ago. And last Sunday, I talked about one truth. This morning, I want to finish up with the other two. Last time we were together, I said that even though it's impossible, even crazy, really, for us to try and hide our sins from God, the One who created us, the One who knows us intimately, we still attempt unsuccessfully and ineffectively to do that over and over again. We ignore our sins. We deny them. We work harder to overcome them. Or we just simply give in. And all the while, this burden that we pack around grows heavier. And the shame and the guilt that we pack around becomes more intense. And eventually, eventually, we can lose hope altogether. This, it seems to me, was the frame of mind that this woman found herself in when she encountered Jesus. And I suspect that it may also be the frame of mind that some of us find ourselves in this morning as we sit here. It leads me to the second truth that we discover in this account. Even though we try and hide our sins from God and deal with them on our own, Jesus Christ knows everything about us and still loves us. Even though we try to hide and run and cover up all the things in our life, all those secret places, Jesus Christ knows all about us. And He still loves us. And the reason we try to hide our sins from God is because I'm convinced, that we're convinced, that if God really knew us, if He ever discovered who we really are, if He ever understood fully the way we think or the way we see things, He won't like us. In fact, He may even detest us us. Does the Bible teach this? Where do we come up with this? Does it say anywhere in scripture that the moment that God discovers who we are or discovers things about us as if he doesn't already know those things that he stops loving us and caring about us? Does it say that anywhere in scripture? No. It doesn't say that anywhere. God has known us from the beginning of time. We read last week from the 139th Psalm that while we were being formed in the womb, that God knew us and loved us. And He knows everything about us. And despite that, in spite of all He knows, He loves us. I don't understand that. I don't profess to understand what that means because I don't know that I've ever experienced that kind of unconditional love and acceptance in my own life. Nor have any of us. He never stops loving us. He never stops caring about us. Even though He knows everything about us. I want you to notice something about Christ's interaction with this Samaritan woman. Only one time, only one time in this account, does He use a descriptive term in addressing her. He could have referred to her as a sinner, as a worthless Samaritan, as a pathetic outcast, as a loser... But instead, in verse 21, he addresses her as woman. Woman. A deeply affectionate word. And I mentioned this on Easter. But it's the same word here that he used to address his own mother. It's the same word that he used to address Mary Magdalene at the empty tomb. It's a very different rendering of the word woman than we would think of. It's very affectionate. And this is the only time that he addresses her and that's how he... He addresses her as woman. So how does this compare to your idea about God? I guess that's the question on my mind this morning. How does this square with how we understand God? To many of us, I'm afraid that we believe that God would rather beat us up than lift us up and encourage us. But this account teaches that God in Christ knows everything about us, the good and the bad, and He still loves us passionately relentlessly pursues us, as we sang, with His love. Jesus Christ does not accuse or condemn. He loves, and that's what changes our lives. None of us have ever been changed through condemnation and accusation. We've been changed because we've been loved unconditionally by God and by other people. And you can read every account in the New Testament, and as Jesus encounters people... He loves them. And they understand that and they are changed by that love. He not only knows what we've been, what we've done, but He knows what we can be, what we can become. He knows the plan. He knows the dream that He has for our life. And as someone once said, every saint has a past. We could talk about that for a while. And every sinner has a future. We all have a past probably that we're not proud of. We all have secrets, but we also have a future. And Christ knows where that is. And it's a good thing. And I said it last week, but it's worth repeating, the one who knows us best, the one who knows everything about us, is the one who loves us most. And that tends to fly in the face of what we think and believe, doesn't it? We often think the ones who know us the best are the ones that are most suspect of us. But not in this case. Jesus Christ knows you better than anyone else and He loves you more than anyone else ever could or ever will. This is incredible news. This is the Gospel. Well, another truth emerges from this account and here it is. Our sins have consequences. I wrote this down and I thought, you know, it sounds like me talking to my kids. Those actions have consequences. But they do. Our choices have consequences. Someone once said, sin is really self-indulgence on credit. Actually, the original quote said, sin is really fun on credit. I didn't like that, so I changed it. It's self-indulgence. Fun. fun is fun, okay? There's nothing wrong with fun. I don't want to equate sin to fun, even though sometimes sin is fun. But we'll talk about that later. But it's self-indulgence, really. It's self-centeredness. You can indulge yourself now inappropriately and the truth is you'll pay later. And make no mistake about it, you will pay. We all will for the stupid choices that we make in life. I certainly found this to be true in my life. When we indulge ourselves, when we make poor choices, when we sin, we don't get to select the consequences. In fact, we don't even know what the consequences will be Till much later, oftentimes, in our life. And the truth is, some of us are still paying for the sins of our youth. And sadly, some of us will pay for the rest of our lives. Our sins, our poor choices, are costly, and they can take a toll on us, even though Christ forgives everything. Paul confirms this in Galatians when he says, and this is familiar to all of you, I think, people reap what they sow. Did you know that that was actually in the Bible? Not God helps them that help themselves, but people reap what they sow. Galatians 6. In other words, and this is my paraphrase, if you plant sin and selfishness and you ignore God and others, you'll harvest a crop of weeds. Your legacy will be a patch of weeds. On the other hand, if you plant selflessness and service and love for God and others you will reap a harvest of eternal life and joy. Eternal life later, joy now. That's the truth. When the Samaritan woman met Jesus, she was living with the consequences of her sin. All the poor, impulsive choices that she had made, she was paying an incredibly high price. She was an outcast. She was brokenhearted. She was lonely. And most tragically of all, She was far from God. She was parched and empty. And she was without hope. Have you ever been in that place where you are so empty and dried up and hopeless that you don't know how you're going to wake up the next day? Jesus recognized this. But He loved this woman too much to leave her the way that He found her. He didn't simply say, like many of us would, I love you, I'm really sorry about the situation that you find yourself in. It must really be hard. Have a nice day. Instead, he tells her, I love you so much that I won't allow you to stay where you're at. I have plans for you. He didn't say this directly. This is my translation of this. I have plans for you. I have a future for you. I want to give you a new life, a transformed life. I want to give you a second chance. I want you to have eternal life. And you can't even imagine what that's like. We need to understand, and I don't know how this happens, it happens over a period of time as you allow God to speak to you, but we need to understand that God loves us just as we are. Gosh, I say this a lot. You don't have to clean yourself up. God's the one that does that. He loves us as we are, but He loves us too much to leave us as He finds us. Lost in our sin, far from Him, And He comes to us and He offers us eternal life. He offers us that same eternally flowing spring that He offered this woman, of pure water, of living water. That's what He brings to us. He says, come and drink from this. And this leads me to the final truth, which really summarizes everything we've talked about the last two weeks. Only Jesus Christ can satisfy our deepest needs. There are so many incredible insights and ideas in this account. Jesus shared some amazing truths with this woman. But two are particularly compelling. And I want to read them for you. And I want you to listen to these. First, in verse 10 of this account, Jesus says, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked Him and He would have given you living water. And then in verse 14... Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink the water that I give them, Jesus said, will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The Bible, from beginning to end, is full of examples of spiritually thirsty people. Men and women, just like us, and throughout Scripture, we're told again and again that only God can quench our soul thirst. Ultimately, God is the only one who can meet those deepest needs in us. And some of you could jump out of your seats right now and say, Amen, that's exactly true in my life. I was looking for something, and until I met Christ, I didn't know what I was looking for, and He filled my life up. I hear those stories, and they're amazing. If you and I ever hope to have our thirst quenched, if we ever are to find true satisfaction, we have to admit that we're empty, that we're thirsty, and we need to accept Christ's offer of satisfaction. And that is often the most difficult place to come to, isn't it? To admit who we are and where we're at in our lives. To say, I give up. I can't do this anymore. I'm tired. I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. I'm hopeless. I need Christ, We need to be absolutely honest with ourselves and with God. The great theologian Charlie Brown once said, Sometimes I lie awake at night and I ask, Where have I gone wrong? And then a voice says to me, This is going to take more than one night. How true, right? It may take us a while to admit that we're thirsty and empty and tired and worn out, but once we do, and once we accept God's gracious offer of satisfaction, we will never be the same. We will never be the same. Like many of us, this Samaritan woman was looking for something to fill the emptiness in her soul. And for her, it was relationships with men. But not until she met the man, Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, did she find satisfaction. Did she find the truth? And what was true for her is also true for each of us. Only Jesus is able to meet our deepest needs to satisfy our souls, or as the old hymn goes, to change our heart and to make us whole. He's the only one that can do that. Later in John's Gospel, Jesus says, if you're thirsty, come to Me. If you believe in Me, Jesus said, come and drink. When was the last time that you were able to peacefully lay your head on your pillow and go to sleep? Guilt-free, without shame, without regret. When was the last time, if ever, that you knew with absolute certainty that you were loved and accepted by God no matter what? When was the last time you heard the Lord say to you, I know everything about you. All of your sins all of your secrets, and I love you. I love you. We believe that Christ shows up when we gather to worship, and I believe that He's sitting next to each of us this morning, and He's lovingly and graciously whispering to us. And He's saying, I love you. I am the only one who can quench your thirst. I'm the only one who can heal you and make you right with God. And I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will walk with you every day. Trust me. Accept my offer of satisfaction, my gift of eternal life.